Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful morning. This has been great already. Let's make it greater as we move along, Lord. In Jesus' name. So uh, if you're newer to us, some of that information may be a little intimidating, but uh, one thing that I wanted you to pick up is just anything that time we do a newcomer thing, it's pretty casual and pretty easy. And uh, just pay attention to that and also the classes that are coming up. And I wanted to mention again my Life in the Spirit class that's coming. That's where I just take people through the scriptures and uh, we have little encounters with the Lord and we just uh, teach people why we believe what we do and uh, just the understanding of from the scriptures as well. So, All right, so uh, today I want to talk about the compassion and willingness of God. I love this subject. And... Uh, I love this translation of Mark 141. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he, sa- I'm willing, he said, be healed. Doesn't that sound great? I am willing, be healed. Now, the Lord never changed his mind since that moment <laughs> and before that moment. He's always willing, always willing. We may go through some trials and troubles with our bodies or our mind or spirit or whatever, you know, our are just in our earthly frame, but God always has this way of catching up with us with healing, sometimes immediately, sometimes a little later, but he always is faithful. And um, so we see this even in the example of Jesus. And the great thing about it is Jesus is both filled with compassion for us and he's willing. Now, this passage comes out of Mark 1, uh, 40 to 41, where a leper says, you know, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus compassionately says, I am willing to all who humble themselves before him. And interesting enough in those verses, it's verse 41 actually, uh, I have the New Living Translation therefore, because uh, up at the top because it's more accurate, all the other versions say that, but I learned something today, this Holy Spirit taught me something because it was confusing me because through the scriptures, you know, there's many translations of course, and um, the NIV says, uh, instead of move with compassion, this uh, person, uh, Jesus, was indignant. And I thought, how did you get indignant and compassion? I translate. So all the other versions of the Bible translate it, compassion, and the NIV says, indignant. He reached out and touched him. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? What is that all about? And as I was driving here, the Lord told me, showed me exactly that both are true. And I thought to myself, the things that I've done out of compassion many times have been, been done out of this righteous indignation. Just sort of thought, well, that's not right. That's just not right, right? That's not right for that to be that way. It's not right for you to be sick. It's not right for people not to have enough food, right? And even as we start the warehouse and, and we pray for people and all of it, there's this sort of righteous indignation sometimes that comes over me. That's not right. It's not right for that to be like that. It's not right for you to suffer with a back injury your whole life. It's not right for... You know what I mean? So interestingly enough, in the New Living Translation, it says, Move with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. And most translations have it that way. But the NIV is the lone one, and it says, With indignation, <laughs> Jesus reached out and touched him. But both are true. There's a compassion that has a sense of indignation about it. Our entire ministry to the weak and the broken around here is like, there's an, it just came from, in my spirit and many of our leaders, it's just not right for people not to have enough food. It's not right for them to be wandering on the street. It's not right for them not to have the medical care. It's just not right, you know? And that moves you into the realm of compassion and sort of a holy justice uh, mindset. And it's very godly and it's very important. But at the heart of everything, and you see at the top of your outline, um, Jesus is good news. And I'll tell you what, many of us spend our whole life trying to figure out whether he's good news or not. It's good news until we have a problem that just seems not to go away. And then he doesn't seem like he's such good news. He makes all these offers and promises and everything, and while we're waiting on ours, sometimes it feels like his good news is bad news. And it really does a thing with our spirit and our mind. And all of us have been through it, and all of us have our variations of it, right? So the main thing is, it's so important that we learn to rest on the compassion of the Lord, to believe, to, to, because Jesus, when he said this, I am willing, it, it's a something coming, the commentary say it was coming from his deep on the inside. There's this 
movement, this, this deep thing that was going on in him. And so his compassion for us is so deep that it sent him to the cross. That's how much he loves you. So everything evens out at the cross and the resurrection, right? Because he didn't have to go to the cross, but he did because you are weak. Because without that, you would not be reconciled to him. Without that, he couldn't pour his supernatural power on this life and the life to come and make all things right. So we don't want to stray into the wrong indignation, you know, the anger at God. But we have to always be looking for the compassion and willingness of God. And so he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing, I am willing. So in his first sermon, Jesus declared, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's a very powerful word that he says. This is the very first thing that he says out of his mouth. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God meaning the rule of God, the authority of God has come. Something is vastly changing at this moment. I am doing something with the earth that hasn't been done before. I am changing the rules. We've had sin and brokenness, and there's been the law that I introduced to show you your brokenness and where at now I'm going to change things by coming in the flesh myself. And I'm going to make an offer you shouldn't refuse. Because I'm going to get on a cross and I'm going to die for your sins. And I'm going to be the sacrifice that was foreshadowed all those centuries by animals and goats and sheep and so on. And I'm going to take the sin of the world on me. And I'm going to make it possible for you know, to know the living God. The kingdom of God has come. The rule, that kingdom means the rule of God. The a change has come in authority. The authority of God has come. The earth is in one state for a while. God created the world and mankind, humankind, kept getting worse and worse and worse. Now repent, meaning change your mind. That's what repentance means. Change your mind and believe the good news. Interesting thing about that phrase, and I'll get back to this again, repent and good news and compassion. So repent, well, usually we think of that as get right, you know, make a change. Well, it does mean that, but it's more of this. It's an offer, right? Because he puts, and believe the good news. In other words, change your mind about the way you were living. Change the mind about your circumstances. Simple as that. And believe something else. Right. So that's what repentance means. And sometimes some of us need to change our lifestyle, change our mindset about our life a little more dramatically than others. But all of us are in the same place. If we only sinned one time, we're separated one time, it's enough to send us away from God forever and ever. It's, a way, a way, it's enough to alienate our God from us in this life. So the way God's way is, admit that you're a sinner, admit that you've made mistakes, admit that you're weak, and more importantly, beyond that point, believe the good news, the good news about who you are, the good news that God will be your father now. And that is an amazing transition there. He's my savior, oh yeah, that's one thing, but now he's my dad. He literally becomes my dad, and he's a good dad. And sometimes we have a hard time dealing with that, because sometimes circumstances seem so rough in our life, God doesn't seem so good to us. But there's amazing passages in the Scripture help us understand it, and the whole weight of Scripture helps us understand God's ways. And it works out something like this. All things work together for good, for them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. The Bible doesn't waste any time letting people know that sometimes in this life we will suffer. All through the characters of the Bible, we see these people laboring under the attack of the enemy, the attack of Satan, unjust governments and unjust things, right? All the while, God offering to help them. All the while, giving them provision, ultimately culminating in Jesus Christ, who came right in the middle of history to redeem everyone that went before and to redeem everyone that comes after by their simple trust and belief in God, right? And that covering is what we're looking for, and that covering is the good news. The good news. Not only that you're saved, not only that you have been granted a life in this life and the life to come, but also the good news about all the things that Jesus brings when he's in your life. That's why we always like to pray for people. We like to pray for healing. We like to pray for finances. And sure, we like to kind of sometimes take a moment and do that and have you stand and respond. Because the good news isn't just that you got your ticket punched to heaven, which is everything really in the end. Eternity or a few years here. Eternity, which one? <laughs> I mean, you want both, right? But, but beyond that, even in these years, there's these wonderful passages of Scripture that help us understand the heart of God. By His stripes, you are healed. By the kingdom of God, the rules that he set up, the authority he set up on earth, 
that actually he heals us of our diseases. He, he knows about, and we're going to see some stories as we look through about the compassion of God. I love to read about the compassion of God because it shows me the willingness of God, and it greatly, comfort, greatly comforts me, especially when I'm in between a miracle. When I need a miracle, I need something, and it's not quite here yet, right? And so all of us are in that place at one time or another, and many of us are in that place with something really burning on our heart today. But I like this part. Jesus in his first sermon declares, the kingdom of come, God has come near, because I'm here, the creator of the universe. I'm in the flesh. Repent, repent. in other words, change your mind about everything, including me and including God's provision for you, and believe that this situation now is good news. The world went from really bad news to really, really good news, right? And that happens to every single person who believes Jesus, who trusts him. Your life turns us from bad news to good news. Not just in the general thing that you do when you commit your life to Christ. So we're going to have a baptism. And all baptism is, is we symbolize with that baptism what happened to you, that conversion that happened in your life. And we like to invite everyone to be baptized. I know some of us are kind of, kind of fuzzy on how we were baptized or we were baptized as a child. We have some people like that that get baptized and others that are newer to the Lord and they haven't taken care of that. And uh, some of them just want to make sure that they got that taken care of. Maybe they had a little sprinkling or kind of weird thing that happened. They, they just want to go all the way under and come up. And they want to make sure they sealed that part, right? Whatever it is, it's a happy occasion. I think, I don't know how many, I got, all I know is the last time we did this, I got really tired a few months ago. I mean, we must have had 20 or 30 people. It was awesome. I don't know how many, whether we have one or five, doesn't matter. And um, we'll put you under the water, you know, and bring you up. We won't drown you. It's a nice jacuzzi, nice and warm. It'll be great, you know. Not like the Jordan, muddy and nasty. Jordan's really a nasty river. You've been there, right? But it's like you come out, and then we pray for you. I like that part the best. I like to pray for people when they come out of that water. There's just some inspiration there. Sometimes some of the coolest prophetic words over your life. And you can do that for children that are ready as well, you know, 11, 12 uh, however they, you know, and kind of the, so just so they know kind of what they're doing, right? And so we do it with children, children, old people, new people, men, women, all of it. We're going to have a good time with that, all right? So uh, in Jesus' first sermon, he declared, The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. And I want to just read um, some passages that underline um, just the compassion of God a little bit. And interestingly enough, um, this indignation and compassion kind of are in there together, right? And uh, just this uh, concern of God uh, for your life to move from one place uh, to another and to be okay, to be healthy, to, to be uh, have enough money, have enough food, have enough provision for your children to do well, for everyone to walk with the Lord. All, all of that's in what we call the kingdom of God or, or the rule of God. And so let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Oh, man, I love those verses. So if he has compassion then, he has compassion on us. That's who he is. Just remember that he's a God of compassion. He always looks at you with not the stink eye, I learned that in Hawaii. Not the stink eye, but <clears throat> kingdom-loving eyes, like a children that he dearly loves, right? Even when you've been a stinker, even when you've been away, especially if you've been away. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them. Now, that word you'll see over and over in the scriptures. I like to emphasize that word. I like that word so much. I guess because I need so much of it, I would like to see so much of it given out to the world because there's so much pain because they were like sheep without a shepherd like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things by this time it was late in the day so his disciples came to him this is a remote place they said it's already very late send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat but he answered you give them something to eat which is a very dramatic answer like, what <laughs> And I thought the chosen, if you looked at that, have seen any of those, that last, some of those last things they did on season four, I believe it is, where they were feeding all those people. What an amazing depiction of that. It was so, so cool, you know, because there's, you know, this, there's literally lots of money is going to be necessary for this big meal. And there's nothing in sight, right? You give them something to eat. They said to him, well, that would, that would be more than a half a year's wages. So this is a lot of money, right? Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. 
When they found it, they said, well, we got five loaves and two fish. And you can just imagine yourself if you were there, you're those disciples, and you're looking at this throng. And they've been out there with for days, you know, and they're hungry, and you're wondering if it's just even going to be an insult to their intelligence. You feed about 17 of them, and the rest of them are like, wow, what am I going to do? Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. <laughs> so now it's getting worse because he's raising the expectation of this crowd. And I, I you can just imagine these disciples, they're in total misery. They're organizing this huge throng of people, several thousand people. And, and so they're sitting down in groups of hundreds and fifties, very methodically, like something's really going to happen. Now they don't believe a thing's going to happen. They know they don't have any money. So you can imagine what they're feeling like and how they're going about their job, right? Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Wow, it's amazing. So all of this is actually left over, right? So Jesus isn't indifferent. He's purposely compassionate, and he delights in using our inadequacy to minister compassion to others. He tells them, you give them something to eat, which is a foreshadowing of what was about to happen. He's going to leave, and now we're the ones that are going to be doing these things. And with a straight face, he expects us to do these things. That's the things that we're trying to learn as a church, to be supernatural people. Not just a club, not just a society, not just a nice organization, but to really have supernatural power and exercise it. That's why we spend a lot of time talking about this, because our worldview and our culture is so secular that really it's difficult to penetrate that veil. We're raised in an environment and educated to be very scientific and logical, which is nothing wrong with us, produce great things. But there's this side of God that's supernatural, that's that's amazing, that transfer, goes over his laws and in around his laws and heals when they shouldn't be healing and delivers and multiplies food and does all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And that's kingdom culture. But it's also the compassion and willingness of God. And he delights in using us and in our inadequacy to minister to others. You give them something to eat. Whatever we give in weakness and compassion, we find out that Jesus uh, can multiply. And he's glad to do it. Sometimes we fail to connect Bible stories and testimonies of the compassion and willingness of Jesus to our everyday life. In Mark 8, 1 to 9, Jesus again multiplies food through his disciples. And so I want to read uh, these verses. This is the second time that he's, 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 he's doing this. And just over in Mark, uh, mentions it just over uh, a, a few pages here. So um, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. During these da those days, another large crowd gathered, so we've got another one. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Now, they've already been through this once. This is really important to understand if you don't hear anything else. Sometimes we go through things and we don't learn a thing from it. And this is really discouraging to God. Oh, I don't know if anything can discourage you, but let's just say it doesn't make him happy, right? You go through this horrible trial. You get on the other side, then another one comes, and you go, oh, no, what am I going to do? Instead of realizing, hey, you went through it, and he got you through that one, then the chances are pretty good you're going to get through this one too, right? This is a really important thing, because there's more involved here than just being dumb and like being kind of slow of heart. It, it actually is, I believe, offensive. There's something in it, you know? When are you guys going to get it? It would be like a kid who's insecure that you really love them, you know. And, you know, most kids come around Christmas, you find no insecurity whatsoever, asking for the biggest bike, the biggest whatever, right? Which is a sign. And then if you had a kid that doesn't think, you know, comes in and says, I don't deserve this, you know, unless they're trying to manipulate you. I had that one happen before. My, my youngest was always like that. Yo, Dad, you know, just and go through this whole thing. I could predict what he's going to then he'd, then he'd come out with it, you know. <laughs> just, okay, what do you want? All right. So he was a little sneaky like that. But, um, and he was pretty good at it, actually, really good at it. <laughs> but the point is that all of us understand that, that, uh, that, that children don't have any time asking, and we shouldn't have any problem either. But 
Sometimes we don't see the stories in the Bible and the testimonies. We treat it like a textbook or a book. We don't understand that this is helping us to understand the willingness of Jesus, what he's really like to us in everyday life. We've got to read the Bible that way. When you read the Bible that way, it becomes a whole other book. It becomes a whole other thing. It's not just a book anymore. It's, it's life. And the statement of God himself or the statements about God himself are incredibly important to understand. So we see here in this uh, a story, another story, just, just a couple of chapters later, Mark says something else. And look what happens. Mark 8, 1 to 9. During those days, another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them come a long distance. But where in this remote place? Again, they say, can we find enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus replied, seven. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks. This is a whole other story, a whole other deal, right? He broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Isn't that interesting? He gave thanks for them. I like that. He gave thanks for them. I'm just a few fish. It's not even going to be anything close to what's needed to feed these people, but he gives thanks for what he has. Oh, there's something there for us. It's so important that we give thanks for what we have and appreciate what God has done, what we have and what we don't have. And that leads us then to him to do the next step. And all of us understand what it is to be with a snotty-nosed kid who has no appreciation whatsoever, whether they're two or whether they're 16. We know what that feels like as parents, those of us that are parents, and those of us that have been that child understand what in the world was I thinking. <laughs> man, I was a snotty-nosed booger. I should not have been doing that stuff I was doing, man. And then I was so demanding and all that, and you think back on it. But that's just maturing, right? They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied after the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And I just think that's interesting. Always left over. More than enough. I just believe that's God's desire for your finances and for your provision. More healing than you know and need. More husbands than you need. No, you can't have two. You've got to have one. But anyway. <laughs> Whatever it is, all right? <coughs> Not all categories fall in this place, right? All right. The people ate and were satisfied after the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Here we go again. About 4,000 men were present. We didn't even talk about the women and children, right? After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with the disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Once again, we see this compassion uh, of the Lord. The, the Lord wants to show his compassion and he multiplies his food and significantly he multiplies them through his disciples. You know, he doesn't just let it rain fish down from heaven, right? Or he could do any kind of vehicle, just suddenly appear in their hand. No, he's telling us something very big and something very powerful here. You do it. I want to work through you. I want to work through you. And it turns out as we see the pages of the Bible unfold, it's not only fish he wanted him to give away, but also supernatural power and miracles and healing. I want to use you. You do it. You do it. I'm equipping you. You're little Jesus now. You're going to represent me. They're going to be called Christians. Christians. You've got Christ in your name. Therefore, you're going to do what God does, right? So about 4,000 were, uh, were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with the disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. All right. So here's an interesting thing. Sometimes we fail, like I said before, to connect Bible stories and testimonies of the compassion and willingness of Jesus to our everyday life. And so we skip just a few verses uh, down, and we read Matthew 8, 14 to 21, all right? Disciples had forgotten to bring bread. So this is just a few, they're, they're going to cross the lake, and the disciples had uh, gotten back in the boat, they crossed the other side, they're, they're in a boat now, and they had forgotten to bring some bread for their own sustenance. Now, after all of this, somehow or another, they forgot their own food, right? All right, so it's interesting. So, disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. So, yeast isn't bread. They're thinking, yeast of the... I don't get it. They discussed this with another, these geniuses, and they said, well, it's because we have no bread. He's mad at us because we have no bread. Now, here's the problem with us. 
We read Bible stories. We have even experiences of our own in our life. And we fail to connect the dots. When we've been given provision, we've had miracles in our life, we see all the stories of miracles, and we just can't connect the next time we have a problem, the next time we're, we need healing, the next time that we need a deliverance or some sort of a, a breakthrough in our life. We can't connect with our own life, with our own experience. They've just multiplied food twice for thousands of people. Now, Jesus is very sensitive to this. Now, that's a, this is an important part. He's not mad at us. He's just sensitive. He wants you to grow a little bit. And also, it must be frustrating to feel like you're, the people are always there expecting, you know, the worst. That, 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 and more than that, that it's just you, and, but you're not, they're not learning the lessons. I, I was trying to teach you. I didn't let it rain bread from heaven. I wanted you to do it. I wanted to go through your hands. I wanted you to do it. He kept trying to say that over and over again. So they discuss this. We don't got any bread. He's mad because he said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He's mad because we didn't bring enough bread. We messed up. <clears throat> Aware of their discussion, he just asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? <laughs> Do you still not see or understand? This is interesting. He, he's calling them on this. He's saying, you know, there's something wrong with you here. <laughs> there's something wrong with this picture. Do you not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do your eyes have do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear and don't you remember? So this bad memory thing is as bad for you but offensive to the Lord. It you know there's a lot of things that maybe might go wrong and there's some people that you might want to offend, but Jesus is not one of them. We don't want that to happen. You don't shouldn't offend anybody if you can get away with it, right? But don't offend the Lord himself, right? And so he's offended. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Right? This memory thing to him is a big deal. And faith's a big deal. I'm trying to learn for you to mature and stand in this kingdom and minister for me. You're my representatives. And how can you be my representatives when you can't remember a thing I did? And you don't even remember that I love those people so much. And especially, you don't even think that I'm going to provide for you, that I'm just going to let you go hungry, or I'm going to say something to make you feel bad or look bad. Right? I'm going to point out your worst mistakes and all that. You're always assuming the worst from me. I need you to assume the best for me. And also, I need you to exercise some faith for the best of me to come out. Right? I guess everybody here doesn't go through that at all. Nobody's experienced that. You look like you're, I hit you with a stun gun or something. <clears throat> Maybe you can remember the last time you complained, but uh, I sure can. And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. <laughs> and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And these are the leftovers. Seven. <laughs> so now they're getting it. Okay. He said to them, do you still not understand? Okay. This is some dimensions of this. It's important. First of all, I want to use you. Do you guys not understand that yet? I want you to use you for signs and wonders and miracles. You're going to take my ministry on. You're not going to just take my teaching ministry. You're not just going to dispense information. I want you to become passionate. I want you to operate in the supernatural nature that I am. I want you to become my representatives, right? And we see that right after Pentecost. They did that big time. Even he took them on a few trips just to try out the, the, new, the, the, the new car, you know, and see how it was going to work. You know, while he was there, he let them distribute. He let them be a part of the miracles. He did it on purpose. He let it go through their hands. They needed to see it. Now, their next step was to believe that actually, even after a while he was gone, which would include us, that they're supposed to continue to do this, right? So... Uh, so he says, do you still not understand? You're not getting it. And the, the main thing in this is the compassion. Don't you get it that I'm concerned? Don't you get it that I want people to do well? Don't you understand that you're a part of that and now your job is to have compassion and your job is to do the same, right? So three questions from Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 21. Here's the first one. Are your hearts hardened? Fortunately, hearts can be softened through the supernatural inspiration and impartation of the Father's love. So this is why we talk about the following scriptures all the time. Because realizing sometimes the hardness of life 
and the hardness of our heart, uh, we've realized that sometimes we really, really fall short and uh, in love. And I would say especially maybe, uh, surprisingly, though if you sit down and think about it, uh, you'll come to this recollection, I think. Really the most surprising thing is we find in 1 John 4.19 the key thing. We love because he first loved us. So when we don't feel love, or we've cut ourselves from feeling that love, and which is available to us, then it's hard to love others because the reason why you're going to be effective in the ministry is because you're, you feel loved. If you feel betrayed, or that God's holding out on you, or God doesn't love you anymore, and God does everything He can to demonstrate that, you know, that's why the power of testimony is so important to remember your testimonies, to remember what God did for you. It's such a big deal of walking with the Lord. Remember, remember, remember. They had a horrible memory, these guys. We have a horrible memory. Sort of like, yeah, I know what you did for me then, but what about now, baby? You know, this is another day, this is another time, right? No, this is not another time. The same God that saved you then will save you now. Whatever you got through in the past will be also in your present. And then, of course, the revelation of Scripture, of who He is. And these compassion scriptures related to the food is, to me, is the most important thing. This is where all the, the, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is why we talk about compassion incessantly, not only that we should be compassionate, but that we can receive love from God, we can have an experience with the love of God. We need to have a love of God in us. And I teach this all the time. We call it the love of the Father, love of God in us so that we can love others. We love because He first loved us. That's 1 John 4:19 on your outline there. I'm on 2A now. But I wanted to show you some of the scriptures that are unexplainable except from this context and this view. They're just sort of some poems and some nice verbiage. But actually, for us to be lovers, to have this compassionate willingness of God in us, we have to have this percolating in us, this love. And it's accessible to us. It's just that we have to get past our problems, past our difficulty, past our horrible disappointments, and find that compassion, which, either way, isn't just a mental knowledge, but what I've found, which is one of the greatest discoveries in my spiritual life over the last uh, decade or so, is this compassion can be so real. It's like it's bubbling up. You can actually feel God giving you a divine hug. And I realize when I'm not feeling that hug, that I left the Father's house. That I, it's not His fault. I left the house. I got discouraged. I got disillusioned. I left. I'm the, I stopped forgiving people. I stopped, and I can't feel God anymore. And so the question is whether we're going to return to the Father's house and keep going to that space, to this compassion that we see exhibited in these two wonderful stories. of I have compassion. There's so many of these stories, right, in, in the Scriptures. Jesus is not only powerful, but he had compassion. He, there was something in him that was motivating him. So we read a scripture like Ephesians chapter 3, which is pretty, in light of what I just said, pretty exciting. And I love to cover this part in my life in the spirit class because it's been so powerful and meaningful. For many years I spent as a Pentecostal sort of person, you know, loving the power as a young person, thinking it was the coolest thing that I could actually get a word for somebody, that I could pray for someone and get them well. So I just, you know, it was just so, so cool. I was just like kid in the playground. When I figured out as being raised a Presbyterian where they never talked about this stuff, and when I entered the world of God can heal, God can restore, God does miracles, when I found that world, it was such a relief to me as a young person raised in a Presbyterian church where they never talked about anything like that, or at least demonstrated it, right? And to find out there's a whole world that I was missing, that all the Bible, most of the Bible, all these verses that I've just skipped over for years is actually true, that actually can be experienced. As a young person, my heart was lit I began to see, man, I tell you, that was so exciting, right? But then over time, you know, you forget all that, and you kind of lose part of it, especially if you've been disappointed or discouraged, or you've had something bad happen to a family member, maybe things aren't going real well, you know, you just start getting dull to that uh, pulsing reality that God is full of compassion and wants you to dispense it, right? That, that's what you do. So look at Ephesians 3:14. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he says this. He's actually praying for this to happen to them. So if Paul's praying this, you can pray for it for yourself or for others. I pray it all the time over you, over me, over my family. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all the Lord's hope, uh, holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's not even... Uh, if that love that we're talking about is a brain thing, is kind of a mental, logical thing, that scripture has no meaning whatsoever. But listen to what he says. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And when I discovered and began to experience that in myself, this love inside of me, this compassion, and it was open to me simply because people were teaching about it, like I am today. So this is an experience you can have. We call it the love of the Father around you. There's, you can experience this compassion of God for you. It's the loveliest experience you could ever have. That's what Jesus functioned under continually, right? So he's saying, I'm praying this for you, Ephesians. If I could pray anything, I, I want you to know and grasp in your life how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, not just knowing about God, but experiencing God. And especially the revelation that He absolutely is crazy about you, that absolutely loves you. He loves you so much He gave His life. Yes, I remember that. It's kind of a distant thing. Okay, yes, I've heard that since I was a kid. No, right now, in the moment, in your experience, right now, where you live. No matter if you're doing good or you're doing bad or the finances are up or down or whatever it is or up and down in your life, God's amazing embrace is there for you to get you through and also to get you through victorious and then to spill some of that over on somebody else. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, not just that you know, but that you experience, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How about that? The love part is the last part. So I might be filled to this way. But the love, when it comes, fills me all the way to the top of the cup, right? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's the part about love that I've experienced that I never would have imagined. I never could have imagined for years and years of Christian experience that actually God could demonstrate to me, make me feel his love immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine according to his power that was at work within me. When that began to happen, it was the most glorious thing. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And amen. So when we talk this way in our church and we talk a lot about these things, uh, they're part of the inheritance of our house to bring a revelation of that. But who wants a revelation of it if we don't experience it, right? I don't want just to know about this love of God. I, I want to experience it. And this, this Ephesians passage that we're saying is, is, uh, is actually uh, explaining that to us and actually telling us that that's what's up in the kingdom, right? Now we see this also in Jesus' life. Listen to this, John 5, 19 to 20. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing of himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Now, as a young Pentecostal, charismatic guy, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy and everything, I about killed myself with that passage. Always looking around, trying to feel, see what the Lord's doing, you know. Man, I just about drove myself crazy doing that, right? So I'm thinking, what's he doing? What's he doing? Then I got down to, like, do I cross the street and get a Coke or a Sprite? Which one do you want me to have, God? And you get down to that detail, you know, you drive yourself absolutely crazy. And uh, so... I want to do whatever the Father's doing. That's what I want to do. I want to be, and we call it, be led by the Spirit, you know. Man, I tell you what, that, that little scripture can get you in more bondage because you're led by this. I've got to be led by the Spirit. So pretty soon, you know, if you're not led by the Spirit, you're, you're failing. But you can't remember what you're failing about exactly because you didn't hear God's voice to tell you to do anything, but you assumed you must have missed because you're supposed to be led by the Spirit and you're not in touch with that right now. You know, and I took it down to the micro level, which is basically the opposite of what we're talking about. When the love of God comes, you're aware, trust me, and you can find it easier than you think, too. It's not way out there. Why would Jesus say you could be loved by the Father if it's so far out there? The only problem you got is between your ears. You don't really know or believe. You had maybe some rough times in your family life, or maybe you're having some rough circumstances, and you're having a really hard time that anybody has any affection for you whatsoever, much less God. Oh, what a terrible lie. Oh, for the, and this is Jesus talking about his own life. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. I, that's me. I want to be led by the Spirit, right? He can do only what he sees his Father do. I want to just do whatever the Father's doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. But I didn't understand verse 20, which is the key. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And yes, he will show him even greater things than these, so that you'll be amazed. So when you begin to feel the compassion of God, you just sort of know what to do. It's amazing. Every time I feel that compassion, I just, even if I don't know exactly what to do, I just jump in there. Because I know God's with me. And that's all I need to know. Oh, that it's available. It's so hard sometimes because we come from a secular worldview. 
It's hard of us to, even in the church's life and general church expression, to have this uh, theology that says, listen, God wants you to know how much he loves you. Yeah, I know that, I know that. No, 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 no. In your life, when you wake up in the morning, in your disappointment, in your disgust, he wants to be there. He wants to hug you. He wants to tell you it's going to be okay. And it's supernatural. It's beyond whatever you could conjure up. Conjure up whatever you could view about God loving you. But this is an impartation. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. He had an impartation of the Spirit, which is available to everyone. And so that's why we teach about this a lot. And that's why, even in my life, I'm always looking for that download of a Father. Sometimes I just have to calm myself from this and just say, God, just come, rest on me. I just appreciate you so much. Sometimes it's hard to get there. Sometimes the disappointment is so great, but if you give him room, eventually he'll get there. You just got to know and have some experience with the love of God. Some people are so legalistic and been so worried about their sin and this and that and doing things right and doing things, you know, and never had just a sense of the compassion of God. That's why music is so important. That's why worship, because sometimes in worship, we go past all that intellectual stuff and we just come to this place and you feel your spirit welling up, right? That's what I'm talking about. And if you put a little love mixed in with the, the encouragement of the song, that's what we're talking about. That beautiful space on the inside. For the Father loves the Son, which is the key to his miracles, because once he knew that, he was secure. He could do anything, because you get your sight back. We're blind, deaf, and stupid without the love of God. We're living a realm of disappointment. We try to be led by the Spirit in a legalistic way so we can get some brownie points with God or do what we're supposed to do. And I did that for a long time. But when the love came, I just began to follow my compassion. And even today with the homeless, to me it's never an issue. You know, you always have this issue like, like should I take care of that guy? Is that guy panhandling on the corner or whatever? I, ne- I didn't even worry about I used to worry about that incessantly. Do I do that? What am I doing, Lord? What am I doing? I just go and I feel the compassion. When I go, I just go, I just do it. When I feel that, I just do it, you know. And yes, I'm giving this guy, he's probably going to spend money on a bunch of booze and da-da, I don't care. You said to do it, I'm doing it. That's how one of my greatest miracles have happened around here. I've seen people in that space. I'll never forget some of my first encounters. We really began to deal with the homeless, you know, and it was just such a primer on the love of God, you know. And I just couldn't take it one day, and I'm watching uh, this man. He may even be here today. I watched him. He was, he was always uh, having a hard trouble with alcohol, and he was passed out, his face on the table at uh, Starbucks, you know. And I'm looking at him, and that thing came on me. And I go, oh, boy. <laughs> I really feel sorry for this guy. And I'm thinking, but, you know, he's... Who knows where he's been? He's probably on heroin or something. Da, da, da. How could I help him? And I thought, you know, forget that. So I just went up, sat by him, pulled him up a little bit like his head because he was in Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Ow, I'm not brave. I'm horribly afraid of these things. I hate this stuff. I am, I am a shy person, basically, but I don't know. When the love comes, you become crazy. You become crazy. You know, power, okay, it's fine, you know. Revelation's good, but when love comes, oh my gosh, you become a prisoner. You become a prisoner. <laughs> so, so, so I started this conversation, you know. And before I knew it, I thought this guy couldn't talk, but he's having this conversation. And one thing led to another over time. And I began to, when I saw him, I greeted him and gave him a little money sometimes and everything. And then finally it got closer and the Lord just kept on me. So we just kept following the yellow brick road. And eventually he came under our covering and now he's doing great. And he's getting pretty much out from under the drugs. He probably struggles, but he's a full-on believer and everything. He's a good guy. And then we got, that's just one of many that are that way. Only because of compassion. And then that leads to the power. And, uh, and then one of the biggest problems we have was, man, I just feel absolutely compassionless in this situation. I know I'm supposed to feel something, right? Sometimes, well, then I just trigger it a little bit. I just say, well, this is not good, what's going on here. And I'll just give it a little shot and see what happens, you know? So, so sometimes I just step into a situation, you know, that's a little bit dicey, whatever, and just see what happens, you know? And sometimes I'm totally surprised. And then the compassion comes, okay, we're good, you know? And other times the, the person's a jerk and, you know, does stupid stuff. And, and you can't be afraid of people being jerks because they, boy, they're really, I mean, you would think the people that are in the worst shape would be the holy people just looking, you know, so grateful. Nah, they're not that grateful. They're just uh, in pain. And when you're in pain, you just care about yourself. And that's the biggest problem we have, you know. And then there's some psychological issues and some psychiatric things. 
But compassion, oh gosh, you know, trying to diagnose is that person schizophrenic or this person this or that. I, I'm not a psychiatrist, and even psychiatrists don't do that great a job. So who cares, right? Just figure out, is that yours or not? And the compassion of God will help you understand that. And do I do this or what do I do? Well, just do that little bit, and that's it. Okay. And when I learned I could do that, I thought, is that legal? Is that okay? I just do a little bit? Yeah, it's okay. Now, but you've got to be open for more, right? So either way, as long as God's fueling you, you can do it. But with, you know, faith... And revelation run a little thin sometimes, but compassion when it comes, boy, both of those are in full supply. It's just the love of God is so important in our, our life, right? And so he's trying to help them. So you look at these things. Are your hearts hardened? <laughs> he says, fortunately, you know, but they're, they're not getting it. They're in the boat. He's all multiplied his food, and they're not getting it that he actually cares about them, and they're going to be okay, that he would actually leave them hungry, Right? And everybody else gets fed except them, right? <laughs> so the supernatural love of the Father softens us, like it did Jesus. So he just did that. For the Father loves the Son and shows him what he's doing, and then he would do it, right? Now look at this. So again, when we look down here, uh, Mark chapter 8. Don't you remember Mark 8, 8, 19, 18 and 19? And so we've talked about that already, you know. We remember our past testimonies. We comfort others with the comfort we receive from God. And he said, do you not understand Jesus absolutely is committed to using us to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse lepers. And so this is from Matthew 10, and I I just want to read this uh, because it's important. He gave these instructions to the disciples, but he wants us to do the same. But if you have the love of God in you, it'll help you to navigate these waters. And sometimes you just do it anyway because it's just the right thing to do. Now, these people going to Tijuana, for me, I think it's an amazing thing that they do. It's really quite remarkable, the group that goes down to Tijuana and just ministers to people on the street. And I was thinking to myself, he said something about a passport. And I said, well, you may need a passport to get out, but you surely don't need a passport to get back into the United States of America anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We're sort of in old mode. Anybody's welcome. Just come on, man. No problem. So, you don't need to, if you forget your passport, don't worry about it. I'm sure you can get back in. If you can't get in, that would be crazy. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. So, I don't want to get political here. See, if I get political, I start getting losing the love of the Father. It just starts evaporating off of me. <laughs> so, let's go here. He says, okay, he gives him his instruction. It's Matthew 10, listen to this, verse 5. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of the town of the Samaritans. It wasn't time for them yet. It was going to be time, but it wasn't time yet. Rather, the lost sheep of Israel, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, they had an anointing on them. Whenever you go near a person, the kingdom of God just showed up because of the Spirit resting on you. Isn't that weird to think? When I'm walking around in Costco, the kingdom's in Costco. <laughs> walking around with me, right? Oh, that kind of helps you to understand. You're not just anybody. You're at a ball game. The kingdom's there. Wherever you're at, the kingdom just entered. And that's really important to to understand. Then he says, well, because of that, you know, here's what you can do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, for the ever receive, for the give. Now, we think, oh, man, it's just so easy. But these guys, this is the first time they're hearing it, too. You know, they're they're in shock. You may laugh. Demons? What? You know, and like, wow, and cleanse those who drive out demons. And, and, and what did you say? Did you say raise the dead? Raise the dead? Now, okay, so somebody comes and says that to you. Hey, we're going to want a ministry tip. Now you go do this, you know. Okay, so we might do that. But in their time, this was like, what in the world are you talking? I mean, this is so, if you understand the situation, the historical setting, this is just crazy stuff. This is crazy talk, right? And then when they began to do it, it was even crazier. They're thinking, oh my goodness, this kingdom, this, this actually, God wants to use us. And it really didn't fully uh, uh, um, fall on them or help them understand until after Jesus resurrected. And they realized they're the Owens on town, and now the Spirit's falling on us. Oh my goodness, we're supposed to do this. We really are supposed to do this. And then they started doing it. And when they started doing it, the church was blasted into existence. Now that thing that happened with the early churches. This equipment that they got, the love of God and the uh, the resurrection power and all of it is what we need in our life to navigate the circumstances of life. This resurrection power still needs to come and it's come through the generations. That's why I have a whole class called Life in the Spirit because I want you to be 
acquainted with the things of the Spirit. You need to understand from the Scripture. Then we have the lab time to help you to experience that and and uh, to go deeper with the Lord. And so hopefully all of that we teach is trying to get you deeper and deeper into the love of God and into the power of God and the healing of God and the mercy of God. The inside working and the outside working, right? So now Roman numeral three, we come to the beautiful body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ distributing God's gifts to other believers and to the world. We call these the gifts of the Spirit, right? There's various lists. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. One there is given through the Spirit, a message of wisdom to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit to another, uh, faith by the same Spirit to another, gifts of healing and so on, miracles and stuff. And uh, it's sort of important to understand that all those gifts operate by faith. So a lot of times people have a little hard time with this and understanding that we're supposed to move in the gifts of the Spirit because there's this thing called compassion, but there's also this thing where you just have to step out in faith and begin to do it, right? You may feel like you're the million miles away from being able to heal somebody. Maybe you're sick in your body yourself. But I found out that God even likes wounded healers. Even when you're sick in your body, you still have an anointing to pray for other people to get well. And one of the biggest things that's so confusing sometimes is to be sick in your own body and pray for someone they're getting well, right? So God will come back to you. He'll come back to you. But the main thing is he's very, very compassionate and interested in taking care of these people that we're talking about, right? And so it's really, really important. The church is the body of Christ distributing God's gifts to other believers and to the world. Our prayers for each other are powerful. And that's why I emphasize prayer so much. You know, if I didn't see the full revelation of it, or I didn't get a, a revelation of prayer or the Father's love, you have to catch this on the inside. And at first when you catch something, you get spurred maybe by a sermon like this or you read it in your Bible. And then hopefully there's someone around that's been down that direction a little bit to help you and say, you're on the right track, keep on going, keep on going. Like even our classes and our equipping are to keep you going, keep moving, grow, grow, grow. Yes, you can hear God's voice. Yes, you can do these things. Don't worry. We've experienced this. We had a hard time too in the beginning, but, but you can learn, right? right? So this is part of our inheritance. So James 5, 15 to 18. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What's a righteous person? It's a person that confesses his sins freely, knows that they're only righteous by the blood of Jesus, and has learned that they are powerful and effective because of the blood of Jesus covering their sin on the one hand and launching them out with his love into the highways and the byways on the other hand, right? And then he says this. This is how serious this gets. <laughs> this is how serious it gets. Listen to this. Elijah was a human being, just as, even as we are. Now, I don't know how many have read the life of Elijah, <laughs> but that's the craziest. I mean, every miracle, calling down things from heaven, uh, multiplying food, you know, raising from the dead, just Elijah. We're just like that with Elijah. That's what he says right here. Scripture says, Elias was a human being as we are. Whoa. And then he says this. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, did not rain in the land for three and a half years. He controlled the weather, evidently. So he's kind of laughed because we control the weather. You know, we can pray for rain. We can do the whole thing and even the COVID thing. This is part of why. Can you imagine what would have happened to the world if the church hadn't been here? We're all appealing to heaven. God rebuked these horrible demonic things and this sickness and illness. We're the leaven and the light and we're keeping this horrible terror that would have wiped out the whole world. No wonder. And they're looking, man, these guys are just bold and they're even disobedient. How can I be afraid and cry out to God to end this horrible pandemic and at the same time we're around scared like a little chicken that I'm going to get sick and die or, or that, that this thing is going to take over the whole world. My prayers are just the opposite of that. I was brought to heal. I wasn't brought to suffer. I was brought to heal, and if I suffer along the way, so what? I'm still going to press on, right? So we have that attitude, and the, the world doesn't understand a thing about that. We just feel like we're rebellious or something. Yeah, we're rebelling. We're rebelling against the world order. We're rebelling against disorder. We're rebelling against disease and sickness. We're rebelling about every stinking thing that comes from the devil trying to afflict this humanity of ours, right? Because evidently, I'm like Elijah. <laughs> evidently. <laughs> It's still hard to believe, right? I mean, you read about Elijah. You know, he's making the rain stop, start, whatever, you know. At his word, it ain't going to rain until he says so. Whoa, Elijah was a human being just as we are. You're kidding me. He prayed earnestly it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. 
Pardon me if I get a little bit bold about the weather, about COVID, about everything else, right? Again, he in the heavens gave, again, again, he prayed, <laughs> and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. We're in charge of the weather, evidently. We can grasp these things because God tells us we can grasp them. It's not only our idea, or it's only not only our, our thought, right? And then here's, look at C on your outline. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He raises against all wise, rages against all wise judgment. So we're talking about the beautiful body of Christ, how effective we are. But here's something you can't do. We were made to be together. We were made to belong to the body in relationship, in connection. And could I just tell you from the cheap seats where I sit, actually I think they're kind of expensive seats, so I've learned a lot. You've pastored church for a few years, and Janice, we've pastored for a few years, right? About five or ten, you know. <laughs> Not really. How many, just this church only, how many years has it been? I can't even remember. It's terrible. Huh? 25. Uh, 26, I think. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Why do I even say all that? Oh, a man who isolates himself to his own desire, he raises against all wise judgment. The worst thing you can do is get be alone out there. Find a body of believers and hang out with them. There's healing. All these believers, especially in a place like this, we're packing. You know why? Because we believe we can heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. We're packing. So when you come here, you never know what's going to happen. Hang around the body of Christ. It's the safest thing. The lion looks for someone to devour. How does a lion eat people and things, animals? He gets them isolated. He separates them from the herd, and then he pounds them. Right? Man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all sound judgment. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, for there the Lord bestows the blessing. So we're all working together, functioning our gifts, you know, and we're forgiving one another, giving each other room. Oh, man, as the body of Christ, there's this blessing that exists in us individually as believers, but corporately. That's why being in church and being a great church, the Lord's bestowing, there's a blessing over our house. It just resides. The Lord's blessings here. Things happen here. They don't happen other places, right? They're, in other churches, they'll happen, right? The same. But, but there's this beauty about the revelation of the body of Christ. We release... Sometimes, you know, uh, a little lot and sometimes a lot. But without a revelation of the beauty and love of Jesus, we only release a little power. And that's so important for us in this time. This is why we spend so much time talking about such matters. Because, matter of fact, I, I just think many of us, as we grow up in the Lord, we just spend time trying to figure out who we really are. And I, I want to read this story. This is who we really are. Listen to this. I just, the story just hooked me. I don't know why exactly this time more than others, but so soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples went, his disciples in a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, now listen to this, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Now, how magnanimous, how great a Jesus. But that's the place he wants to put us. He wants us to have that kind of compassion and that kind of confidence, even for what he did next. Because out of the compassion flow the greatest miracles and the greatest boldness. A person to be bold for boldness' sake, there's a big difference than that. The person has been truly touched by the love of God. And when he prays for someone or ministers to him, he just does it because he's been loved and Wants to see that person do well. He, he's spilling over with the love of God. Then he went up and touched the beard. They were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I like this so much. Don't cry. It's all right. I want to be able to say that to our community. You know, maybe we're not Jesus. Maybe we don't have the anointing all the time, but we have it in our genes. We have it in our... Our, our compassion and willingness of God and the things that God made us to be like that. I want to I be like that, don't you? I want to be like that. I would, I would like to move in that kind of power. But with this revelation of love and the beauty and love of Jesus, and this is the last statement I have on here, becomes comes a tenacity from us that moves the heart of the Father to respond. And I want to finish with this passage. 
many people treat prayer as a discipline, which in a sense there is a little bit of discipline in it because I don't actually wake up every morning just wanting to pray like crazy. Sometimes I have a good day, sometimes I don't. You know, And even in every situation that I have, I'm not sure that I'm always the most dynamic prayer person, you know, and especially if my body is sick or I'm down or whatever. But, but I want to just read to you this vision of why it's so important to have prayer and, and be a praying church. Well, the basic short answer is because prayer attaches to God and God does things in response to what we say, right, for ourselves and for others. And then prayers has another dimension, and that's just intimacy with God, just hearing God say your name, hearing God tell you you're going to be okay, right? Pamela, I do believe I prayed for you to get married more than once. I remember, right? And so when he showed up, it's thrilling to me, right? And now I see you with this baby, and it makes me want to cry, because I know what you went through. I remember. It wasn't easy for you. And uh, you were trying to make a living, and you were just wondering, and and, uh, and just such a marvelous person, and it just year after year, and then God broke through. And so you're such an answer. It's just such a glad, I'm so glad to see you here, and so glad to have dedicated your child and see your wonderful family. Uh, your grandfather especially intrigues me. Is that your great-grandfather or your grandfather? My grandfather. Your grandfather. And his great-grandfather, right? He's 96 or 97. I think, uh, can I just say something prophetically to you? Uh, that was the Lord that he was able to be here. He needed to see that. You needed to see that, right? And uh, can I just give you a word? All my children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. But I want you to say this. All your family will be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. And not one of them will be missing from heaven. Not one. Lord, I declare that today in intercession and prayer. All of them will know the Lord. And great will be their shalom, right? All right? Okay. So here we go, this last part. Luke 11, 5. Suppose you have a friend, and you say to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. And the verb tense there is keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking, that's the tense, I'm reading it like it would be read, receives. The one who keeps on seeking finds and the one who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers? Now he gets into love. Which of you fathers? If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. If he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you, though, are evil, even though, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Which is another way, giving of Himself, giving Him supernatural provision, give you supernatural provision for your situation. How much more? If you know how to give good gifts, you have this Father who knows what you need, right? And so this, we see this friend at midnight. It's, it's not exactly the right time to go ask for the loaves. But Jesus is using it as an example. There's always room for you to approach the Father. And your shameless audacity on prayer has a, for prayer for, has a foundation. And that's none less than the love of God, the compassion and willingness of God. That's why you can be shamelessly audacious in the prayer room. That's why you can be radical and pray and press him on the matter for all kinds of things. Whatever is in your heart to prayer, whatever is in to pray, whatever the compassion is in you, it's there right in the prayer room. And that will cause you to be a prayer because you know your father, you know who he is, and you can't stop coming till the answer shows up. And it's not just filled by discipline. Discipline gives out about the third prayer. Compassion, on the other hand, will fuel everything you need to pray whatever you need into existence, right? Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you, Holy Spirit.
You're so powerful here. So I'd love to have some people come up to help us because I think maybe as a result of what I said, it might be a good time for some of you just to agree in prayer with someone up here in the front and ask for a miracle in light of what I said. So if I could have ministry team members, anybody that prays for people or like to pray for people that's from our church here, and uh, just come on up. And there'll be people, and this is especially for you that are strangers, here with us, maybe new, don't know very many people. So guys, be nice and smile and so they don't feel threatened to come up to perfect strangers. And if you don't want to come to a perfect stranger, I just encourage you as an act of your faith today, especially today, to start trying this sermon out a little bit. I don't suppose in here anybody needs anything. But just in case, you might need a couple of things. I highly recommend you pray with one of these people or just stay in your seat. Take a moment before you go. And maybe you could pray with your husband and wife while you're there. Or you could come up in the front. I'll be up here. But whatever you do, why don't you just take a moment and ask God for what you need in the new year. Just take your wife's hand. Take a friend's hand. Come up here and pray. Sometimes coming up here, we make a big deal of it because we found out that, first of all, when we do this, there's something unusual that always happens supernaturally. We don't explain it. We could just do it in our seats. But we just found out that we pray for one another, and God does amazing things. And it has to do with that if two or three agree about anything. So you might be by yourself today, and then you've got some people up here that will agree with you, all right, if you like. Or you can pray from your seat, or maybe have someone next to you pray, all right? So I just want to do this. Well, I'm going to pray, okay, a general prayer. And then as you leave, you can quietly leave if you're leaving, because I would like this to be an atmosphere of prayer for the new year to ask God for some change. And uh, would you just flush out, uh, flush down, out, in the toilet, all the, the stuff that says, I'm going to have another year like I had the last one, and that last one wasn't so great. Let's just make a, the new year start with a good thing. Just say, hello, Father. I trust you to change the circumstances of my life this year. And then tell him what you want. Make a list. You can do that in like 30 seconds, or you can take 30 minutes, whatever you like. But I just encourage you, as we do a worship here, why don't you just come up and uh, or from your seat and pause. She just said, my house will be a house of prayer. And uh, just let people pray for you. I'll be up here a little bit, and we'll just pray for you, whether it's a physical illness or whatever. Come. Thank, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful time we've had together. Reinforce these words in everybody's heart, not only in the, this auditorium now, because I'd love to see some miracles now, but also through the week, through the years. May you get our heart back. May we come with you with shameless audacity because we know someone up there loves us enough to die for us and resurrect from the dead. Amen.